Good evening and welcome to the Merrimack School Board public hearing this Monday evening, March 21st, 2010. At 7.15, we, called, we opened the public hearing to accept, expend gifts and grants over $5,000. Joining us this evening, we have our Special Education Director, David St. Jean, and I believe our Business Administrator, Matt Chevenel, will be weighing in also. Welcome, David. Thank you. Make sure my mic's on. Um, what I'd like to talk about tonight is the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. And um, you have a, a memo in your board packet, and you also have a, a multicolored highlight of the expenses in front of you. Uh, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, or the ARA funds, are set aside funds. They're federal funds that are entitlements to the Merrimack School District. And they have two purposes, to improve the quality of education for students with disabilities and also to stimulate the economy. And that's, that's why they, they were funded. We, our total allotment was $971,811 in Part B funds. And those are funds for students with disabilities between the ages of 3 and 21. The second pot of money, if you will, was $34,449.66, and they were in preschool funds, and that's for students between the ages of three and five. Um, I appeared before you in June of 2010 and uh, requested and was granted permission to apply for and expend the, the previous amount of money, and the amount of money left in the fund is $423,000, $423,854, and I'm here before you tonight to request your permission to apply for and expend that amount of money, $423,854. Um, if, if you look at the multicolored sheet on the front, it's, it's tied in with the district logic model. Uh, we're looking at the areas of literacy, math, technology, and the environment. Um, and Different colors correspond to different um, areas. And you also look that most of the funds that I'm asking you to expend tonight are equipment. The original grant goes back to June of 2010, and it must be expended by September 30th of 2011. Um, what we did is we spent it in pieces so that we would still have some funds available later in the process to meet our changing needs in, in the district and also for more careful planning. The first round, we, we did do some training, and that training is still ongoing um, between, until the end of this year. This money is, is mostly, as I said, for equipment, uh, because that can be expended and accounted for uh, prior to the end of September 30th. The, the other interesting thing is that, that I know in, in tough economic times that it's, you know, on the one hand we're looking at some budgetary issues in the school district budget, but I want you to know that this is not school district money. This is federal money that we use or we lose it. And we have to spend it before September 30th. So it, it won't help us out next year. It's, it's for this fiscal year that we have to spend it. So I just want to be very clear about that and very clear that it's federal money. If you look at the, the front page, uh, you see the, the logic model or the district long-term plan. We tried to tie our goals in with the district's goals that were set by the school board, and you can kind of see the general layout of, of, in general, how we want to spend the funds. If you look on the second page, 
it, again, it's, it's not in great detail, but it's in, in somewhat more detail. Um, some of the areas that we would like to expend the money, the, the um, blue would be to work on the environment, so we have an environment that's conducive to student learning. And some of the things that we would like to, to expend them on is, is some air conditioners for medically fragile students, uh, and we use these typically in our summer school program. We have students with respiratory problems, medical problems, fragile children who come to school with nurses, and uh, it gets very warm in our elementary schools. And these are portable. The maintenance department would puts them in, just connects them to the window, and, and um, we use them to, to keep the conditions so the student's safe and, and, and doesn't have breathing problems. The second, the second item we're looking at will help medically fragile students, but it's, it's almost like the concept of universal design. Sometimes the things that help kids with disabilities help all people, you know. All of us that sometimes sprain our ankle and need to use a ramp instead of the stairs. You know, so those kinds of things. So the, the second thing are defibrillators, AED devices for medically fragile students. We would, uh, we budgeted for nine of them and we would put three in the high school and one in every other building and one in the special services office so that students with uh, medical, medically fragile students would have access and we would have access to them and it would also be there for other students in the district. So we felt that that was a good use. Uh, the third item is classroom audio systems which are, um, I call them sound field system. They're, they're basically the teacher wears a, a microphone and it broadcasts around the room. And again, it's a universally designed system. It helps students with uh, hearing problems. It helps students who are attention deficit disorder. It helps them focus better on what, knowing what to focus on because if they hear a teacher's voice and kids' voices and you have AD, you don't know what you're looking, who to listen to. So this, we found this, the research shows that this works with that. It's also proven, uh, the literature has shown that it's also um, been helpful for teachers. They don't have to use the teacher voice all day, and they um, can, can get, they get less tired during the day, and they can f focus more on other activities instead of using the energy for that. So it's been successful all around. Uh, the next couple items are, are part of more... Um, student record keeping that, that are requirements uh, under the federal law and, and requirements. Uh, one is for a shredder and one is for a scanner. And right now we have 15 cabinets and 50 boxes of records in my basement. And we've never had the money to take care of them. So hopefully by getting a scanner and a, and a shredder, we'll be able to, to begin to do that and, sh and, and, and begin to clean that up, maybe in time for our new building if that. Um, the sixth item is again, it's a it's a it's a federal requirement. It's uh, according to ED 321.11, which is a state regulation. All special ed records must be in locked, fireproof cabinets. Our records currently are not in locked, fireproof cabinets, and it's been very hard to ask the district for funds given all the priorities we have for this item. But th I think this is a good use of the federal funds. It'll bring us into compliance. And, and we will we'll get to follow the, follow the regulation. Uh, the next four items are all kind of tied together. For We have a program for students with um, intellectual disabilities. And just, just a comment, um, students previously were called students with mental retardation. 
And recently there was a law passed in the federal government called Rose's Law, and it changed the designation for mental retardation to students with intellectual disabilities. And so our students with intellectual disabilities at the high school, we have some um, really good program. We have about 20 students in the program, really good teachers. One of the teachers was a special ed teacher of the year a few years ago. They do wonderful things. But, but we've kind of, um, sometimes when you do a good job, you don't get a lot of attention and, and whatever. And we finally began to look at their classroom. And what happens is it's in an old preschool. And it has a, a, a rug in there that was, I talked to one of the maintenance folks uh, on my way in today. And she's been here 30 years. And the rug was here when she got here. It's orange. It's in terrible shape. And again, it's the kind of thing where, you know, if you've got other competing needs for a classroom, but uh, we'd like to replace that and, and work with Matt on working on that. And then the other thing is this, the chairs and tables um, are mismatched and, and were cobbled together. And the last round of tables were about, I've been told, was about six years ago when one of the pair's husbands worked in the business and they were throwing things out and they picked them up. So we'd like to get this room up to, up to um, a high quality. So, so that's um, something that we're really focused on th this year to, to do. Um, the, other, the next area is sensory integration materials. Uh, that's for occupational therapists to use with children with um, Typically, ch children with autism, a lot of children with autism, we want to upgrade some of the materials and supplies we have. Um, staff communication devices to monitor students with behavioral challenges. That's a fancy way of saying walkie-talkies so that we can have kids, kids who have behavior problems. If they're out on the playground, someone would have a walkie-talkie. And if they have a challenge, they could call the parent and maybe get some assistance to help the student. Uh, flip cameras for alternative assessments. There's a new way we have to assess students with disability, and one of the things we do, we, we have to videotape them and then send the tape into the state, and they review the progress the students are making. Um, and we, we've had to, it, it's a requirement. We started doing it this year, and these would be another set of cameras in each building to help us out with tripods. Uh, software, computer license, apps. Um, to upgrade our software throughout the district. And, and I'm going to talk later on about buying some more technology, and that would, would help with software for the new technology we purpose. We, we get um, life skills materials. Uh, that would be for the, the, the high school program for the students with intellectual disabilities. Uh, we're, we're, we, in the previous grant, we're putting in a, um, a life skills area for them with a stove, refrigerator, uh, and places where they can do those kinds of activities. And these would be for supplies for that, uh, you know, uh, microwave pots and pans and all the things that you would need so that they can work on a life skills program. Um, just kind of go down to, if you go down to the red area, that's where the other desktop computers for the special education classrooms. Uh, this would be um, desktop computers for all our special ed classrooms throughout the district so that we would upgrade all those, all those uh, systems for the students. The next one, number 23, is laptop replacement for special ed teachers. Five years ago, we, we through a grant, we purchased laptop computers for all the special ed teachers and specialists. A laptop's life is about five years. Um, why do we need them? The reason we need them is that the the special educators have to write the individual education plans on a uh, 
computer because we have to we have to comply with the state rules and they have a statewide IEP system which is online and they have to get online to write the IEP they have to each quarter they have to evaluate the IEP and anything they change in the student's record has to be done online so a student they really need to do that and there's really no no other option no other way to do it except to get online and so each they have had them and this would be replacements uh, when they're replaced we would take the the um, laptops and repurpose them for student use and spread them out throughout the district so it's a way to get this need met and also to have some laptops in the hands of students with disabilities so we feel that that would be a good use the other thing is is iPads with cases for students with disabilities in the first part of the grant we purchased different iPads a couple um, other similar things and, and, and the teachers experiment with them and they found the iPads really worked well with our students we found a couple of really important uses for them. One is for students who are non-readers or read very poorly or had challenges reading. Uh, there's a lot of reading apps that like high school kids can use and we found a site with, where students with disabilities can actually download free books. Um, so we can find books for the students that are their age appropriate. The, the iPad can, if, if you can't read sometimes it can read it to you. It can make the print larger for kids with, who have you know, visual problems. If, so it really has been, been exciting in that area. And another area that we, we found it very, very helpful is um, with ch children with autism. We found that we can use it for uh, language uh, communication. There are a couple ways. They have ways where they have symbols and you can push on the symbols if you're nonverbal and it can you know I, I have one with me right now that I've been borrowing and playing with and um, you know they put symbols on it and they can use it to speak when they can't speak themselves and we've been we've had really good luck uh, using it that way so we're, we're pretty excited about this new technology and think it'll help the kids with disabilities a lot um, interactive projectors uh, there's one for each building. Those are instead of whiteboards, you probably, um, not white, smart boards, that's the word, instead of smart boards, uh, being expensive whiteboard, I think. But instead of the smart boards, and what it is, it comes in the, in the, the technology comes built into the machine and not into this heavy piece of equipment that you have to move around. And you can show it on a wall, and if you touch it, you can move things around, and you can use it, you can write on it, and it remembers it. Uh, and we're, we're going to have them on carts for now, and it's really a pilot project, but one in each building so that we can see how they, how they work. And we're pretty excited about that also because we, we never really bought the smart boards, and I think the smart boards are almost going by now. I think this new technology is going to make it a lot easier. Instead of having a big board you have to move around, you can just show this on the wall and move it. And you, the wall works like a smart board. I don't, the technology is pretty, pretty good. Uh, the other thing is data projectors. These are just plain old data projectors that uh, would be on carts and that uh, the teachers with disabilities in the resource rooms could use uh, for special lessons with students if they want to use alternative means instead of just talking they could show uh, animation or, or whatever they wanted to do for the thing and then specialized tech supplies um, one thing we've learned is when you buy technology there's always a million things you also need and this would be something as simple as a lock is $35 you buy it you maybe need 50 of them you know so so this would be for locks and cases and cables and all the things that we would need to to make the software work so so I'm, I'm pretty excited about the especially the technology piece I think the the technology will will allow the district to take a step forward 
and, and even though a lot of them are for students with disabilities, they'll expose other teachers to the to the to the technology, and 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 we'll get to use it, you know, in classrooms and and those kinds of things. The other thing that may help, and I'm not sure, is I know that one of the things we're looking at is is uh, cost effectiveness, and maybe the technology will help us need less paras at some point in terms of, of instead of a, a, a student depending on a person for assistance, maybe they can depend on the technology. So we're going to try to see if that can help to some extent um, with perhaps reading, where someone now maybe has to have somebody read to them. They can maybe take the book on the iPad and have it read to them by the iPad. Things like that. So we're we're, we're going to try try new things, and I know our staff's been been experimenting with it. So, so that's kind of the quick overview. Thank you, David. Matt, did you have anything that you wanted to add? No, I'm all set. Thank you. Okay, um, I'll ask if there's any questions from the school boards for David, and then I'm going to open up the microphone to anyone wishing to um, comment from the public. Roy. Yeah, I, I think it might be good actually to have Matt comment uh, because we've had questions about era funds and such. And um, from from members of the public, the difference between the Ed Jobs funding and the ERA funding, and how they're designated and the sources, that kind of thing. Well, the ERA funds was uh, awarded to um, districts um, a while back as part of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act to kind of uh, spurn the economy on. And these uh, items over here are to be used to um, supplement specifically special education and so that's what we're doing we have rules as, as far as this grant goes to to make sure we didn't uh, we had to avoid the cliff effect put programs in place that we couldn't support after the grant money went so there's a lot of those regulations there the ed jobs money basically is um, the adequacy grant but tied to generally teachers salaries all salaries and benefits for the, your teaching staff uh, non-special ed included. So that's the basic difference. Shannon? The question I have is regarding the uh, defibrillators that um, when you say they're going into each school, are they going to the nurse's office or uh, main office? I'll, I'll, take I'll let Matt handle that one. He, he's the, he decides where things go. go yeah, I, yeah. yeah, the defibrillators, we had bought those geez, probably eight or, eight or nine years ago. Um, in one of the budget cycles, we, we had this uh, as, as an item. Um, they're to the point right now we really have to replace them. We've replaced batteries and everything, but they have to go. What we want to do is we want to mount these in public locations. So if there's an event in the high school gym right now and something happens, or there's an event here in this, this meeting and something happens, there'll be something in a common area that you can grab and you can utilize. So I wouldn't have them locked away in the nurse's office. They'd be for readily available. Any other questions? Okay, at this time we will entertain any comment from the public regarding the hearing. We're specifically discussing the public hearing to accept and expend gifts and grants pertaining to the presentation that David St. Jean has given us regarding the um, ERA grant. So does anyone wish to come forward and address the school board this evening? We ask that you state your name and your address for the record. Seeing none, what we'll do now is we will close this public hearing. 
If you'll look down further on our agenda, item number five is when the school board is going to have some discussion and we'll talk about process at that point in time about what we do um, with the information that's been given us tonight. But I am closing the public hearing at 7.41. And I will just take a one-minute recess and then we will go into public session. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. We will now go into public session. Good evening and welcome to the meeting of the Merrimack School Board this Monday evening, March 21st, 2011. Would you all please rise and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance? Thank you. I will entertain a motion to approve the minutes for March 14th, 2011, made by Chris, second by Shannon. Any corrections or clarifications? Chris? On page 3 of 11, section 5, uh, the first sentence, I believe Ben Rogers' name is spelled incorrectly. Uh, there's no D in Rogers. Uh, page 4 of 11, section 6, the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6th paragraph down. Uh, Chairman Valancourt questioned how the Merrimack was chosen. If we can just strike the word the. Four more paragraphs down. Board <coughs> excuse me. Board member Ortega asked when the project would be completed and when the survey results would be available. Um, if we could add and if aggregate results could be shared um, in return for the student's time investment. The next paragraph down, the last sentence, uh, Dr. Tyne stated that the survey results, if we could insert the words um, uh, that she could share, how the school responded, not individual students. So if we can insert the words, uh, she could share and strike the word indicate. Two more paragraphs down on the, the last page, or last paragraph on that page. Chairman Valancourt explained to Principal McGill and Dr. Tyne that the board would not render, um, strike the ED at the end of that word. On page five, third paragraph up from the bottom in section seven. Um, if we could include the words um, when factoring in the cost of the flooring in, in terms of calculating the cost savings so that the sentence reads, um, board member Ortega calculated the, that the cost savings of having one polling site in Merrimack won't occur for six years when factoring in 
the purchase cost of the flooring. On page six, section eight, uh, the fourth paragraph down, the first sentence, if we could insert the word um, teacher between workshop survey results so that it's clear who was surveyed. And then similarly, um, in the next sentence, if the sentence that reads results from the survey found that student learning is not adversely affected by half-day workshops, if we could uh, insert in the opinion of the a majority of the surveyed teachers, again, to be clear that, that this is not a statement of fact but uh, of an opinion out of the survey. I think that would be more accurate. The last sentence on page six uh, that reads that I questioned the interpretation of the results of the survey. Um, if we could just um, add that with the results, with positive results being close to the combined negative and neutral scores as to why I questioned the results. Skipping to page eight, I promise I won't go much longer. Skipping to page eight, um, section 11, paragraph four. Um, if we can just say how much of a dollar savings uh, this represents, uh, you, so you can strike the, uh, the section of the sentence that says was gained as a result of the change in the point of service. I don't think that that was what I asked. I, I just asked what what the actual dollar amount was for that change. Uh, same page, section 12, third paragraph in. Uh, the second sentence, uh, he stated his priority is teachers. Uh, if we could just add the word in classrooms, classroom teachers. And then the last, um, uh, sentence in that paragraph, uh, we just want to correct the, the spelling of capital projects to be with an A. And then on page 10 of 11, at the top of the page, I believe Ms. McLavy's name is misspelled. I believe so. And that's all I had. Thank you, Chris. Any other corrections or clarification? Shannon? Uh, just one, because Chris was pretty thorough tonight, wasn't he? <laughs> page, page 8 of 11. It's about me, so it stood out to me. Um, it's the second to last paragraph on page 8. And I didn't question the need for one-way bus transportation for kindergarten students. I used that as kind of a cross-reference to the after-school bus program. So essentially saying we're only offering one-way transportation for students going to class. So as far as the late bus, maybe that should be subsidized because that's above and beyond basic transportation that we need to offer our students. But I'm not in any way um, wanting to reduce busing even further for, for kindergarten. Any other questions or comments? Roy? Just a few. Um, page 4. Uh, section six, fifth paragraph. One, two, three. Uh, Principal, McGill, Principal McGill responded to participation in the study 
could become a learning experience as opposed to leaning. And then in the seventh paragraph, starting Dr. Tyne responded, um, last sentence, it says Merrimack has less than 10% students participate in the program referring to the National School Lunch Program, therefore placing Merrimack. Uh, that actually places us in the, the less needy category, not in the suburban. I mean, we're, we're suburban no matter what those stats are. And let's see, on um, page 8 of 11, section 12, first paragraph, the second sentence, and our chair can weigh in if I'm getting this wrong, but I think uh, what she acknowledged was the potential need to reduce the budget by a million dollars uh, to accommodate a shortfall because that shortfall is not definite yet. Right. I was going to say the potential shortfall. Okay. Either way. Either way. It's potential. And that's it. Anyone else? Roy and Chris and Shannon caught most of mine. I think I might have one other. Um, page 5 of 11, the very last paragraph. Chris, did you already catch the spelling of council? No? I'd like to tell you I okay. did, but I did not. All right, could we have the, that spelling corrected thing? I just thought you might have said that already, and I wasn't catching it. Um, Page 7 of 11, first paragraph, I believe we either need to, I think workshops needs to be plural. We add an S there. And same page, eighth paragraph from the top, second sentence, she questioned with an ED at the end. And that is it for me. So if we are all set, put the motion to accept the March 14th, 2011 minutes as amended up to a vote. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Passes 5-0-0. Item number three on tonight's agenda is public participation. This is an opportunity for members of our public to address the school board regarding any school district matters that are of uh, concern to them, share their opinions or thoughts. Just ask that you please, when approaching the mic, state your name and your address for the record. Hi, my name is Barbara Publicova. I live at 75 Amherst Road, and I am the facilitator of the uh, Merrimack Special Ed Support, uh, Parent Support Group. I just wanted to let the public know and yourselves uh, about a free workshop that's coming up on April 2nd. The Parent Information Center in Concord is going to be sponsoring a um, workshop entitled Around the Special Education World in One Day. It's a six-hour workshop. Um, it's free and open to the public, um, anybody who wants to come. Um, and just it goes through the entire process of special ed and, and all the you know kind of steps involved. And it's a very, very good um, workshop if, if people have never been to it. Um, the only requirement is if people could just um, contact the Parent Information Center so they have enough um, material. Um, but it's free and it's open, and I hope uh, we see uh, quite a few people there. Thank you. Barbara, how could we um, get information out to the about where parents could contact RSVP? Uh, um, it is, uh, I, I want to say it's www.picnh.org, I think. Uh, although David's got a laptop, uh, uh, iPad, maybe you can find it. Um, it's also on our website, which is um, www.merrimack.org. 
PACT.com. So they can find it either place. And I know that there's um, newspaper articles and stuff coming out on it. Thank you, Barbara. Thanks. Anyone else wishing? You're getting help thing. from the studio. <laughs> no, I'm getting audience. coached. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully, I don't have to repeat it all. Okay. But um, just to, for parents out there, special education parents out there, um, they should be getting by April 1st. Uh, every year for the last four years, um, the state has been sending out a parent involvement survey um, to all the districts. So uh, parents should be getting those in the next week. Um, if they could please fill those out, they can either send them in um, you know, by mail or online. And that information really um, is used in the district. We use it with sitting down with um, David St. Jean to talk about you know, the various things we're doing well, the things we're not doing so well on, and try to make, you know, some changes and workshops on those. So if parents out there are getting those, please don't throw them away. They do kind of look like publishers clearinghouse things, but don't throw them away. Please fill them out, and um, hopefully we'll get some really good results. We've had very good results over the last so many years. Thanks. Thank you, Barbara. Um, there is a notice on the school district website, too, on our home page regarding the survey. So if anyone has any questions, it's right there on, on the front page of our homepage and we have had a um, very large response of parents to that survey so it's been very successful and we hope to keep the trend going anyone else wishing to come forward during public participation this evening seeing none we'll close public participation item number four consent agenda mark thank you there are two items on the consent agenda tonight uh, the first is teacher resignations, and there are three. Uh, Mary Kiernan, world language teacher at Merrimack High School. Sandra Cohen, world language teacher at Merrimack High School. And Karen Demjanovic, uh, reading teacher at Merrimack High School. And the second <clears throat> item on the consent agenda tonight is approval of the Dartmouth College Research Project at uh, Master Cola Upper Elementary School. Thank you, Mark. Do I have a motion to approve the consent agenda? Made by Roy, second by Jen. We'll put the motion to a vote. All those in favor of approving the consent agenda, please signify by saying aye. Passes 5-0-0. Item number five, board's response to acceptance and expenditure of gifts and grants over $5,000. I just want to start the conversation tonight by indicating what we will do uh, by way of process. We will follow the same process that we followed when we had um, David St. Jean come before us with the first part of the grant money. And what we did was we had our discussion. We asked any questions. David has been kind enough to stick around in case anyone has any other questions. We had discussion. And if um, it was amenable to all board members, we put it on the consent agenda for the following meeting. So that's our intention to do that this evening. But I will now open the floor up to board members for any comments or questions. Roy? Um, I, I just want to say that I think this is a really good use of funds. Um, as our, our director of special education mentioned, these are going to improve the environment and technology and literacy and math for special education students, but also looking and knowing what an expense technology is every year. I think it's a great use of the funds to put money into technology that otherwise would end up coming out of the school budget in the coming year. So I commend you for coming up with the list. Any other comments or questions? Shannon? Uh, I just wanted to commend you, David, um, on always coming to us with ideas that I would never have thought in a million years 
could uh, benefit the education of a child. And the iPad really, you know, really wowed me that there's, there are apps now that can get kids more acclimated to a reading environment in a struggling environment. So the fact that you're always looking for that new, sharper edge that could, that could get our kids that much further. Um, this is, I think, the spirit of, of the funding, and I think you, uh, you really took it and, and did just magnanimous work with it. So thank you very much. Any other questions or comments? Seeing none, we um, will, unless someone has a uh, concern, and I would ask that you contact either me or Superintendent Chaffrey, we will put the acceptance of this gift of grant on our consent agenda for our next meeting. Thank you very much, David. Appreciate it. Item number six, summary of the New England Common Assessment Program results, otherwise known as NECAP. Mark? Thank you. Well, here we are again. <laughs> These years roll by quickly, don't they? Um, so it's, it's, you know, quite a challenge to uh, figure out how to talk about these very important scores each year. So one of the things that I thought that I'd do tonight is, is try to um, contextualize our performance in three areas because really our, our, any, any district's performance needs to be understood at least in three ways. One, uh, as it relates to um, what um, the term is uh, annual measurable objectives. Um, I'll explain that in just a second. Another is our, contact, our uh, performance relative to the state, and the third would be our performance relative to ourselves. So hopefully tonight I'm going to uh, be able to express to you uh, our performance in those three contexts. What I'm passing out to you now <clears throat> uh, is something that I hope is helpful to the board and perhaps to anybody in the public who's listening. Um, and the reason I pass it out to you is merely for you to um, be able to see that when we sometimes talk year to year about um, moving targets, uh, it, it really is uh, true. So the No Child Left Behind Act uh, makes it a requirement that all schools by 2014 uh, are proficient or above. Therefore, if you are proficient or above, you have a score of 100, and, and so every school needs to achieve that by 2014. Um, but what the law um, put into place were targets and benchmarks along the way from the year 2005-06 in the elementaries and 2008 in the uh, high schools, in the grade 11, to um, give you a, uh, a window of growth for each year that you perform the MCAS, so, uh, the, I'm sorry, the NECAP. So, uh, so what happens is each year your um, AYP is somewhat calibrated to your performance on individual measurable objectives. And so each year the benchmark for performance goes up a little bit or after, you know, a, a, uh, each two years, the benchmark goes up. So what I've passed out to you is just a reflection of what those index targets are um, for reading and math at grades three through eight and on the opposite page, uh, grade 11. And then you can see this is where ideally we're supposed to be in increments leading up to 2014 where we're supposed to be uh, at 100%. So 
to the extent that this is information that uh, is common to people, it just reinforces it. And to the extent that it is new information, I think it's just helpful for people to understand that each time we administer the kneecap, the expectations for improvement uh, go up. And uh, that has its own implications. Some of them, all of them, are challenging. The next thing that I'm going to pass out to you uh, is our performance in the two categories for reading and math at proficient or better. And what I've given you is a chart that I think helps you to understand our performance there in two ways. So if you look across, just take grade three for instance, we have uh, if you look across, that the best way to interpret those results would be to simply say that that's a, a measure to some degree of our curriculum at grade three or our curriculum at grade four. So if you go across from 2005, six, seven, and look at results, it somewhat addresses our performance uh, at each, uh, you know, as, as a third grade curriculum or a fourth grade curriculum. The blue number on the left is Merrimax result and the black number on the right is the state's results. A second way to look at this is if you go kind of uh, diagonally down, you can follow a cohort. So again, if you start at grade three in 2005, that's the same group at grade four in 2006, the same group in grade seven at 2007, uh, five at 2007 and so on. So I give you that just to help you understand how to read this chart. If you recall in uh, last year when I spoke to you, I said that one thing that I think is very important for us to be aware of is that we uh, can be happy when we have great results, um, but we can't be too happy when we have great results from one year. And if we have uh, unsatisfactory results, we can't be too unhappy because yearly fluctuations are common. And even though every year as we attempt to get to that 100 mark for 2014, you see that Merrimack and the state of New Hampshire really fluctuate. There are good years and then there are years where it appears that either the state or Merrimack takes a step back or in some cases a great leap forward. So I think that the way to respond to yearly fluctuations is to uh, uh, I'll invoke what you hear the superintendent say a lot, which is that we stay the course. We aren't going to allow ourselves to get overly excited when the results are fantastic or overly uh, disappointed when the results are not. So it's better to look at longer term. So if you look at our performance relative to the state um, over six years, I think you'll see a really positive trend uh, across most of the grades. I'll just focus you on uh, grade three. From 2005, our benchmark was 76, to 2010, when our performance is 85, you see a growth of nine points over that span of years. Now, it's interesting that the state has also achieved that similar growth of nine points over that same time, but I think you'll see that in that case, as in most, though not all cases, um, we started at a higher level and so continue to achieve that same uh, distance between our, our district and the state. Um, so, for instance, if you look at um, grade uh, eight, you see that uh, over a period of six years, 
Merrimack students in reading, this is proficient and better, have gone from a 68% to an 85% or a growth of 17 points, and the state has 16 points. So what also what I think is helpful to just point out is that there is uh, often a mirroring, I find, in our district's performance and in the state's performance. If you look at a six-year average, that's a good thing. But it also works the other way, that when there are times that we've taken a step back, so is the state. That says a lot about the nature of the test that year, because that test changes each year. We don't know what that test is. Um, we just do our best to deliver a good quality curriculum, and then the students perform. So on any given year, there might be uh, levels of difficulty of questions uh, that we just uh, you know, have to respond to the best that our students can, which is, again, why it's very important that I, we, I think we keep saying that we stay the course. We stay the course, and we do what we know uh, we must do. Uh, in math as well, I think if you look at uh, grade four, for instance, uh, our performance over that same six-year span has gone from 68 to 82, or a growth of 14 points. Uh, and <clears throat> in the state, it's grown nine points. So I think that uh, we can certainly, I'm happy to speak to you about uh, this year's performance. You see it right there in front of you. But again, bearing in mind that statistical relevance can't really be discussed in one-year increments, but rather a minimum of three or more, I think it's just helpful to try to provide a little bit of a context for you for that. Um, I'll also just pass out to you um, the following page that lists our performance uh, in categories uh, substantially uh, below and partially proficient. Those would be the two lowest uh, re uh, reporting categories. And there, what you want to see is a decrease in numbers. So in other words, you want to see fewer students scoring in those categories as you look at a multi-year span. And there again, I think that Merrimack's trending is quite right. If you look again at grade three, you see that uh, our performance uh, on that level has decreased. So that means fewer students at grade three over a course of six years have been in that substantially below and partially proficient level by nine points, for instance, just at grade three. If you look at math, the decrease is less dramatic, but nevertheless is present. So again, I think where you want to see trending going up think generally we're seeing that. Where we see trending, uh, where we want to see trending going down, I think we see that as well. So if you look at the criteria for um, trying to uh, contextualize our performance, the AMOs, how we're doing compared to the state and how we're doing compared to ourselves, I'd say these just in terms of summary statements. Um, I think it's universally accepted that those um, annual measurable objectives are tough um, criteria to meet, and uh, we are meeting them as best we can. I think it's fair to say that most districts in the state are, at this point in the run to 2014, below those benchmarks, um, but we are outperforming the state in almost every one of them, so um, we're just moving the way we're directed to move. How we're doing compared to the state, I think in almost every category, I think that you can see in the data that you have in front of you, 
where our performance year to year is listed side by side with the state, um, that we are generally speaking outperforming the state and in most cases fairly significantly. There are exceptions, but in general I think that uh, it's, it's, it's a, a good outcome. And how we're doing compared to ourselves, again, if we look at individual instances from last year, better. Uh, in other instances, not quite as well. But over a longer statistically relevant span of years, quite significant. Um, I think it's also important to point out that um, when we look at the sum of the uh, performance where we need to improve in math, uh, the area where across the board, whether it's grade 3 or grade 11, it's uh, data, stats, and probability, which is our, relatively speaking, lowest performer, data, stats, and probability. That is also mirrored by the state. So in that case, I think it's an accurate finding in that those are kinds of the sort of higher ordered process skills that are uh, difficult. I think we all find them difficult and those are the areas that one would almost say is no surprise that as a relative weakness we would probably find it in that area. For reading, again, whether it's the grade 3 test or the grade 11 test, analysis and interpretation are the, is the area, rather, in reading that we have uh, our greatest work. But again, that makes sense because those are much more higher ordered thinking skills, analysis and interpretation, than merely um, circling um, something like, you know, who said what. So this really requires a lot of uh, careful work that the teachers in our collaborative assessment project, for instance, uh, do with our students all the time and are continuing to work with them. But the data suggests it's right we do that because that's a very complicated um, area. So if we look at our results, we see that uh, those are the two areas that our teachers will be directed both by, uh, by their, the building leadership and certainly as a district leadership team uh, to work on. And in fact, that's already begun uh, and has been in place for some time. I think I'd like to just um, spend just a minute speaking about the high school uh, because even as I just say that we don't overly emphasize uh, in any individual year, I think it's also true to say that this was a pretty interesting year at the high school. Uh, we had a, a pretty dramatic result in both reading and mathematics. Uh, there's a, about a 25-point gain um, this year in, from last year in reading and a 10-point gain in math in students scoring proficient. And then there's been also an equal decrease in the number of students in the lower categories. So it's a great result. And I think it's been uh, widely noted. Um, what happened was that um, Principal Johnson is a, a fierce advocate of his school and has felt for some time that NECAP doesn't necessarily reflect, the NECAP scores have not necessarily reflected the quality of the work that goes on by the teachers here or by the students here. And so uh, when we were talking last year, we were thinking, no, this is a tough nut to crack. What do we have some control over and what do we not have any control over? And there's lots we have limited control over. But one of the things we do has to do with student motivation. And we surmise that it's possible that the fact is that for whatever reason, perhaps students haven't um, given 
kneecap the due that we would like them to have uh, and to, to have them give. So we thought, again, in terms of what are the things that we can do to try to enhance student motivation, and not just that, but a number of things. And so um, one of the things, is, as I think you know, was a, uh, an interest in putting student scores on trans uh, student results of NECAP on transcripts. Um, this, I, I will just point out, was an idea that was offered primarily by students. Uh, and it was, a, I think, a very, very um, carefully crafted idea raised by the students to try to consider for themselves what student motivation, what could enhance student motivation. This was raised by them and supported by the, uh, by the administration. But um, to, a, to a student, I think that they should all be credited with, with taking that very, very seriously. And I think you see a great result. That's not the only thing that happened, however. There was also a great effort um, to try to um, reconfigure the testing environment uh, that students would, would engage in. And that also, I think, had a great effect as well. Uh, and I think it's just important. One thing that I th I'd like to just express has to do with um, the idea of, um, of um, uh, working a curriculum to support an assessment. And some folks talk about teaching to the test. And that really is kind of, uh, I think, a misnomer. I think what I'd like to say instead is that if to, to, to talk about teaching to the test would suggest that you have a test question in front of you or you have a test in front of you, you know the questions that will be raised and you simply address all your instruction around that. That is not and has never been the case. It can't be. Uh, so that's not possible. What you have is an aligned curriculum. You have a curriculum that is aligned to a uh, assessment system and if you teach your curriculum, then it de facto should help with your assessment. So what the administration did at the high school is try to really make sure the teachers are very attentive to the curriculum and trusting that there's an alignment between the assessment and the, and the curriculum. And in fact, there is. So um, one would not expect that you would teach something here and assess something there. You assess what you teach and you teach what you're planning to assess. And that's a different thing altogether from teaching to the test, which would suggest that you are very limited in your scope. We have a solid curriculum, and I think there's been some effort to, um, to unleash that um, by the work of our teachers. So in any event, um, that's our report for NECAP for this year. And I'm very happy to uh, take whatever questions you may have. Thank you, Mark. I always feel for that individual that has to explain to everyone the results of the kneecap scores, which how many years I've been listening to it, and I learned something new, and uh, it, it is complex. So thank you for the information. Thank you for taking the time to put some of these visuals together. Questions or comments from the board? Roy and then Chris. Thanks for the explanation, Mark, and for the, the great numbers, because it makes it very easy to follow classes as you go grade to grade and also grades as they go through uh, different classes. And uh, just to put some, some numbers on one of the things that was said earlier is if you look at the 14 different grades that have, were assessed last year, uh, well, seven grades um, in reading and then seven in math, uh, we were actually above the state average in 11 of those. So, so that is a good result and it's pretty consistent from what we've seen. You mentioned um, 
the whole concept of teaching to the test and how that's not possible. And one of the things that we've discussed in the past is that there are really two components to the test. There's what are you asking and then how are you asking it. And I know when the, the, knee, the science kneecaps, for example, first came out, almost every single district did terribly on that the very first year. And part of that was just around the language that was being used to ask the questions. Uh, for example, if the question said, uh, support your conclusion, and you didn't know that it needed five points and you only put down three points of support, you might, you might not get that question right. Has there been anything um, done either at the high school or district-wide to deal with that kind of issue, just kind of uh, acclimating ourselves to the way these tests are written? The answer is yes, um, particularly at the high school. But uh, across the district, there's been an effort to um, sort of uh, conformance, uh, not conform, to try to um, manage instruction in a way that would be familiar to students when they encounter the, uh, the kneecap. So for instance, um, there are, I think, multiple choice, multiple choice assessments are a fairly standard um, way to uh, do reading checks, for instance, just, you know, what do you know and how can you demonstrate it with a quick multiple choice? So that's always been the case, but now what might happen is a teacher would say, we're going to have a multiple choice quiz um, that's going to help me assess where you are at this given point in time, but you might know that in a few weeks or next year when you take the kneecap that you'll see that as a fairly um, common item so let's uh, or way to ask questions and way to assess your understanding so we name the thing we tell them that it's likely to be seen again and we just simply try to increase familiarity with that format similarly um, we might uh, make an effort to have a student uh, give an elongated response to an open response question and then try to talk to them in terms of an expectation of their writing that would be similar to kind of expectation that the kneecap would have. So we say, um, you know, maybe, maybe oftentimes I ask you for um, three good ideas and maybe you'll give me two and that'll be okay. But you know there's this thing called the kneecap and when you take the kneecap, this is obviously for the younger children you talk this way, but, but when you see the kneecap and they say list five things, you really want to make sure that it's five things. And, and oftentimes what we find that students do is they can think of three things, but they think if they elaborate and elaborate and elaborate that the reviewer might forget that the question actually asked for five and then, well, I'll get points for that. And, and the fact of the matter is that the reviewer will love the um, embellishment, but will at the end of the day say, eh, you did three and we asked for five. So we try to put students in mind that, you know, you really have to read the question carefully and that you have, to, you have to really do what it asks. And perhaps that even means that you're a little bit more brief but you do what they say. So these are the kinds of things that our teachers across the board have been very mindful of in, in working with students. And um, it's by no means a finished um, effort, but, but uh, it's a very long-winded way to answer your question, which is yes. I should have just started and ended with yes. Right? Okay. Well, I, I like the embellishment. So. Um, now, a, a more difficult question, I think, is when we get down, I mean, we've got 85, 86 percent proficient in several areas, we're getting to the tougher parts, right? I mean, it's one thing to pick the low-hanging fruit off the tree, but now we're looking at the, the apple that's way up on top and maybe out of reach. What are the different strategies that we're looking at 
in order to get to those last 10%, 15% of students? Or, or how are we approaching it just in general, I guess? I think the, um, that, I don't know that there's a definitive answer for you. I think rather what it is is it's the result of a lot of collaboration with the leadership team and the teachers to try to answer that question. I can tell you that um, in, in reading, uh, just take reading, uh, one of the things that we are very conscious of is the result about analysis. If we could just get that analysis piece refined, then I think we'd, we'd be able to achieve the final goal that you're talking about. So <clears throat> the collaborative assessment project, one of, the, one of the tenets of the collaborative assessment project um, is expecting more from students than fluency, expecting more from students than that they can point to the main character, um, but the deeper understandings that come from reading literature, even at the younger grades, motivation, why do you think kinds of questions, um, which is, which is m typically more reserved for older students, but the kneecap requires that even of third graders. And so across the board, whether it's the elementary grades, middle school or high school, um, we've intensified our efforts to really engage students in that analytical um, work. That's not an easy task because um, it requires a lot, of, a lot of thinking, a lot of um, backwards mapping. Uh, those are habits of mind. So in addition to there being content skills, they're habits of mind. There's a tendency, and I don't want to be too general, but I mean I think there's a tendency uh, for students, particularly maybe older students, to um, do a quick skim uh, and then be done. And then they do the best they can with the question. But one of the habits of mind that we try to teach is for students to go back it's okay to go back, reread a passage, um, understand it differently, look at it a second time, a third time, take your time. Um, so those are among the things that we've um, tried to put into place when it comes to the analysis piece of, um, of the reading section that'll try to achieve that. For math, I think um, the data stats and probability, um, a lot of that has to do with reasoning again, reasoning, so it's just the math equivalent of the thing that we ask students to do in um, language arts. And um, we have programs in place, I'm confident, that, um, that allow students to engage, to transform their skill sets or their number sense to the reasoning skills. Um, and that certainly is our effort. So it's a similar thing. We've identified the area of relative weakness and then we've tried to continue to hone instruction to achieve that. But it's it, the best thing to say is that it's known. Mark, my question is as kind of the first time uh, recipient of, of NECAP results are, are probably more rudimentary. Um, one question I have in, in looking at this is um, the how is how is it decided that, that we're going to test grades three through eight and then we're going to take years nine and ten off and then test in grade 11? And, and the reason I ask is as you look at those results, you know, the trends have been 
as you point out, very positive, right? But then we get to the high school and we've got this sort of enigma out there in terms of the results. And, uh, and I commend Principal Johnson for, for do, taking the steps that he's taken um, to, to make these um, results um, more pertinent and, and um, better reflect what, what students can do. But it seems to me as if, as if, if we were testing in 9 and 10, right, we'd have a better trend line, right? We've got this gap. It, w what's the state logic on that? I, it's not just a New Hampshire phenomenon. Okay. Um, Massachusetts has the same gap. Okay. Uh, I can only speak to Massachusetts from more recent experience, but I think most states in the, in the country have a similar gap. <clears throat> if you're asking what the academic or you know the academic rationale for that is I can't tell you I don't know I do know that it presents a unique challenge because we have in a sense that cohort of students goes dark right. for two years exactly. and then they rise up again and we don't have the benefit of what we've had from grades three to eight to be able to track their progress and understand where strengths and weaknesses lie so it's a unique challenge for high schools not just our high school but for high schools um, Generally speaking, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It just is. It's unfortunate. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I agree. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm just curious if there's been any analysis because the trend has has been here as well in terms of that gap at at the 11th grade level. It doesn't seem to be as significant, um, and in some cases, if at all. You know, the reading seems to hold uh, in terms of the, the results or the progression in, in proficiency where the math just seems to fall off the cliff, uh, to, to be perfectly frank. And, and I'm just curious, what, you know, what's our assessment there? Because it's not just are we taking the test seriously? Is it counting toward our transcript? Do we have the right environment for the testing? There, there seems to be something in terms of the math. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and, and it's particularly interesting because if you look at the state result, you know, it's, it's, it's similar. You know, um, I can only tell you that what we have begun to do in the time, in the more recent time that I can speak of, is to begin to work uh, with the math department and again, sort of backwards map. So, for instance, we uh, have had conversations with uh, Department Chair Blank, who's been instrumental in helping us to answer the question that you're talking to and say, you know, what are the skill sets that a student coming into the high school, not just at grade 11, but coming in at grade 9, would have that would allow you and your staff to better prepare the students when they get to this point in 11th grade? And that conversation has begun, I mean, has been in place for some time, and we're beginning to, to funnel that information back down the, you know, the, the grades, and, and then they're, you know, working it back up. Um, and so I think the best that I can tell you is that it's under constant scrutiny and investigation. There's a phenomenon there that I don't know is entirely understood. Uh, to be honest, but what's interesting is that it it's also reflective in the state results. So, um, you know, I'm very reluctant to say, <laughs> well, if I were very reluctant to say what I'm about to say, I wouldn't say it. But, um, <laughs> but I think that, so what I'm reluctant to do is ever to blame the test. I don't think it's ever a good idea to do that. 
because everybody is subject to the same test. Um, so I'm going to minimize what I'm trying to say by saying that that one thing to consider is that you know this is um, a test that's made up of made by humans who are you know can be subject to error. And um, there are times when there have been questions, particularly on the math test, that have been outlier questions, that have been so difficult, that have been so out of the range of expectation at a developmental stage, they've been thrown out. I don't know if that's happened recently. By that, I mean since I've arrived in New Hampshire. But I know that it happens, and that sometimes it happens so significantly that scores are amended as a result of that. Enough questions have had to be removed once, you know, I mean, if, if you give a test to 15,000 students and 14,900 of them blow it, then is it the students or is it something about the question? Now, I, I limit that because that's certainly we can't, you know, proceed with saying there's something wrong with the test because really there isn't, except that I think there are times when even the state has observed that there are things about the math test in particular that can be 3 through 11 that can be uh, reviewed. So that's just one, and I, but that's, you know, no more needs to be said about that, but that's one, one area. But, but generally speaking, it's a phenomenon that needs investigation. I just have a little bit of a theory here to throw out. It, when you're talking about children up through grades 8, I mean, the course requirements are all consistent. Everybody's pretty much taking the same thing for the most part. Now you've got reading and um, writing. Again, English, to, to some, you, you've got to take four years of it to graduate high school. By the time you're a junior, though, these high school kids are really um, focusing and honing in on a specific um, career path that they want to take. And with a lot of them, it doesn't include math. And I think, um, it's, you know, through, through ninth grade, 10th grade, you've got some consistency, but then you're still, you're separating the kids among different abilities and levels, too, at that point. And I don't think the math experience, nor am I saying should it be, is really um, consistent for every child at the high school. I think you really start to see differences. Kids focus on different things. And um, I'm not sure how much of that is taken into consideration by the panel when they create the tests. I really don't. Um, and I don't know, possibly, um, we as a high school might need to push some more of the math than, I, you know, I mean, we have state requirements for, for graduation. There are things that you have to do. But um, at the same time, I think by forcing some of these other um, correct these classes on people, you're taking away one of the things I love about Merrimack High School is all the um, electives and the opportunities to really branch out for a, a high school student to really be an individual by what they take. So um, I, I'm wondering if there couldn't be some more dialogue with the people who do create the tests to um, see how much they really are aligning what they're asking with what's offered at the state um, the, the state high schools because it is not just Merrimack that, that falls off you, the cliff with the math. You, your, th your theory sounds very consistent and actually has a, a level of depth to it beyond what, what Mark said, right, which is, you know, there's something going on with the testing here that, that, that may be an issue. And that's where it's unfortunate, right, that we don't continue to test in, in grades 9 and 10, right, because we'd start to see you know, perhaps where that, that starts to break off uh, a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, as, as you so aptly put it, right, they go dark and then they reappear, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Right. I think a, a test in grades 9 and 10 would be a far better indicator, um, absolutely. So, 
Any other questions? Shannon? I know Chris mentioned about being green with his first year on the board. Well, I'm neon green because not only is it my first year on the board like Chris, but this is my first year getting kneecap scores from my kids. My son is third grade, so it's the first year I got a report back from one of my own to understand, you know, how all that testing and all that good sleep I had to put him to bed with was was paying off. And the area that I asked about during parent-teacher conferences, honestly, was analysis and interpretation because of all the areas, that's where he scored, um, I think, the, uh, the hardest. And the question I asked the teacher, and uh, is that like toward the end of the testing cycle, and if it was earlier on in the process, would they not be so burnt out? Or is it is analysis interpretation uh, an element that's spread throughout the testing process? It's spread throughout. Okay. Yeah, it, yes. So I guess, you know, the concern is, you know, can you time your testing so that it mixes it up so it doesn't just focus on one area? Or is it 10 o'clock, you have to do this type of English testing on a Tuesday or? It's Where's the flexibility there? Not a lot. Not a lot. Um, there is there is not a lot. Um, although the certainly care is given as as Principal Johnson tried to do to uh, to try to manage the test environment and and uh, and factors like that which are not insignificant. But when it comes to manipulating the test itself, it's not possible. You have what you have at the time that you have it, and uh, you have some discretion in terms of time of day, but. But you can't, um, you know, if if there's a particularly difficult part that you'd rather have earlier, you couldn't flip it. You just there isn't that flexibility. Okay, so like for parents at home, you can't say, "Well, my child's a morning person, so make sure you do math in the morning because that's their hardest subject mm -hmm. or something like that." That's right. not, mm -hmm. it's not there to be had. Right. And that really was my con my question: Do we have that kind of latitude? And um, and the answer is obviously no. Um, I guess the only thing that I noticed about the scoring is. Um, it seems as though um, there was like one grade that seemed like across everything, there was the number was below state average. And, but it doesn't represent, I think, the history of their testing. So does that get looked at as well as what's the anomaly? Yes. Um, so there are a number of things to consider. And one of them is the fact that um, NECAP is a moment in time. It is a point in time. Um, it, it comes at the beginning of the school year, so it really tests the previous year for the most part. So even though it's given in fourth grade, it's really a test of third grade. Um, but you recall that um, given the way that New Hampshire administers, there is a break, you know, of many months. Um, and so, you know, those, but that's true of us, that's true of every other uh, school in the state, but still, I mean, that's a factor. Um, but uh, one of the things that Merrimack has, I think, um, been really in the vanguard of is uh, alternative assessments. So, for instance, again, I point to the elementary CAP initiative where the development of formative assessments has been so critical to its success and I think the success of students. And so what we've seen in the formative assessments is a result that would maybe in some senses be in contradiction to that result that you just pointed out to. Because it, um, by their nature, formative assessments are given, they're reviewed, the, the results of that review inform instruction, so then 
instruction is calibrated to what that child is saying that they need the results of the test. And then now you're presumably better at it than you were before because the instruction has been refined. Now another formative is given, an assessment is made, and then most likely there's been growth in what you were working on, and now there's another area that needs. So it's ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. The cumulative effect of that is that a student has been worked over, in the best sense of that, over the course of the year to continue to refine his or her performance rather than one shot deals. Well, that's how you did, moving on. Um, that's kind of what NECAP does. Um, and again, I don't mean to be critical about it. I'm just, I mean, it is what it is. That is what they do. So our district's assessment model really is, and that's true for mathematics as well, is, is geared to look at and respond to a student's demonstrated needs over time as they speak to you through the assessment. So that if, we, if we look at that, sometimes there's a parallel between that performance of students on NECAP on the formatives and, and NECAP, and sometimes there's a disconnect. Um, but, you know, an equally, I would say, reliable result would be those things that we find you know, in our own assessments, and I think and so. So that's what we're really focusing on, too. So we look at our students. We look at NECAP. That's very important to look at. We look at our results of our formatives and other means of assessing, and together, together, not separately or independently, but together it begins to form a profile of a student performance. All set? Jen, did you have anything you wanted to Roy, were you raising your hand again for another question? Yeah, I just, uh, getting back to the, the high school um, math test in particular, and I think there, there are a couple of factors. One is, while we'd like to think that these tests being designed for New Hampshire are, would have the New Hampshire curriculum at their heart, we're actually part of a consortium of states, right? That, so it's what, Vermont, Rhode Island are the other two, is it? So the tests themselves may not be 100% aligned even with New Hampshire state standards, and that could be a factor at any level. Um, but also, just specific to the grade 11 math test, one thing that was striking when you gave us the, the target scores was that uh, if you go back to the first year of the grade 3 test, the, the very uh, grade 3 through 8, the expected target was 76% proficiency. And then it goes up from there. Whereas for the grade 11 math, the first uh, two years, they expected only 58% proficiency. It's as if they put this test in expecting that it wasn't going to line up with curriculums anywhere near as much as the younger grades or even as much as the high school math. So I have to think that there is something at play, and it may be the case for science as well, uh, that they knew when they put this test in that people weren't going to do as well as they did on other grade levels. But uh, I don't know what's, what was in their heads as to why they did that, but it's clear from these numbers that it was their expectation. Thank you, Roy. Anyone else? Weigh in. Um, Mark, thank you again. This is, it, it is very helpful, the information, and to have a visual to look at. I'm always a visual learner, so it's, it's um, very helpful to me. Anyone who might be in the audience or watching from at home um, and is really interested in the scores and how to interpret them, I would encourage them to contact Dr. Mark McLaughlin, our Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum at the Superintendent's Office. I'm sure he'd be happy to take the time to explain to anyone. Um, as you can tell from our conversation tonight, it's, it's not a black and white 
um, process. And every year I go into my uh, No Child Left Behind diatribe and um, how I personally believe it's flawed. Um, while I think great things have come as a result of having to make what they call AYP, adequate yearly progress, I think we've learned an awful lot from um, having these tests and having the bar raised every year. I mean, one of the simple things that came out of it was how um, important a child's attendance, I mean, it's a no-brainer, but still, how important a child's attendance is uh, to a test score. I think we've, we've really grown. I'm, I'm personally very proud of our results. I think Merrimack should, should be very proud of the improvement, and we, we honestly are hitting bars that um, I really wasn't sure we were going to be able to do. Again, our entire student population, every single child, their test scores are um, added into these and these results. But when we start looking, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm glad we're optimistic about that top 10%, um, but that 100% in 2013-14 scares me. Um, and again, you know, when you saw how many school districts were districts in need of improvement, it was, we were like over 50% of the school districts in the state at one point in time. I think when we start getting up to um, places like 100% that we're gonna be um, in good company once again, so not saying that good can't come from this, not saying that we haven't, I think, made, um, made the best of it and had great improvements in our district, but I want to caution people. Um, I don't think a kneecap result is the end-all, be-all of what the school district um, can do and what our students are capable of doing. So I just urge everyone, um, I think sometimes there's a little bit of hysteria um, that goes along with talking about kneecap scores, and I would just urge people caution, and again, if you have any questions, I think the best person to go to is Dr. McLaughlin. So thank you again, Mark, very much for all that information. Moving on. Item number seven, further discussion regarding possible additional expenditure for retirement costs. Marge. I'm going to pass out um, some sheets for you to utilize as I go along and, and tell you what we've done. Um, last week, um, Monday to be exact, um, you provided me, our team, with a charge, and basically this is what it was. Um, you were hopeful that we would have set aside $1.5 million not knowing what is going to happen in Concord, not knowing where we were going to end up. And you asked that it be done in three tiers of 500000 each. And um, I believe at that point in time, you had settled off on, for the time being, holding aside the first $501,000 that we had vetted, really, on March 3rd and on March 7th at the deliberative session. So the team, the leadership team, and I really then began to focus on what we called the second tier and the third tier. And what I want to do tonight is to go through and highlight what we have in each of those tiers and then also go back and raise up some points that the board made um, each member, him or herself, as each of you weighed in. And when you look at the sheet, you might not see something that you had brought before me, and I want to go back and highlight why that is, is not there at this time. So let me focus in then on tier two. 
Matt shared with you last Monday about the fact that we had been given our final rate for health insurance. And what we found is that we were going to have a savings of $240,000. So we felt that definitely should be registered the first thing. One of the things that Shannon talked about was looking at the late bus run. We have two runs, one for the high school and one for the middle school. Upon going back and talking with each principal about the students that stay after, and I believe Jackie also weighed in, what we found is that we could eliminate the high school bus run, but that we need to keep the one for the middle school because principal will find reports that there are 40 to 60 students per day who use this run, who stay after for detention, perhaps for a special activity like the school play that was just held, and that for where that school is located, it would be very difficult for students always to be able to get home. So you'll see just one run eliminated. We heard loud and clear that you wanted to try and preserve the capital projects, the capital improvement projects, yet you realized that in doing this work, more than likely they would surface. And so knowing that, we tried desperately to hold those off. And so in, in the second tier, you'll see the Lions pave, Road paving showing. Now we come to staff. And this is where each of you spent some time talking about possible staff positions to look at. Um, lots of times uh, when, when you go to do this work, timing is everything. And you'll recall that earlier this evening, on the consent agenda, we had two positions showing at the high school where persons retired. And they retired really um, unexpectedly. And so in looking at these positions, we were able to assess the World Language Department at the high school and the English Department at the high school and realize that with the staff that we currently have and that we will have in our future, that we are able to eliminate one World Language position at the high school with a focus on French and one reading teacher who is in the English Department whose focus is reading. I would just add that, again, um, we have two teachers who have reading backgrounds, one who will have a reading degree at the end of the spring, and one already on staff. So by combining their talents, we are able to um, take care of the needs of students. So literally, here are two positions that have been closed out. If you look at the next four lines, you will see four lines entitled Office Additional Equipment at Mastercall Elementary, Reeds Ferry, Thornton's Ferry, and the Middle School. And that whole total of 5,400 is for the radios that had been requested by the principals and that you hear about every year. Earlier, you heard David say that with the era funds just this one time, um, we felt strongly that based on how they're used so much out on the playground and so on, sometimes for some of our students that really have issue, that he would be able to ask for that in the era funds, and that's why we have taken these out. And then we ourselves went back at central office and determined that we would pare down the advertising account um, by 5,000 additional dollars, and we would also go back to the instructional support account, which is where we have, you remember, Dr. Kim Boothroyd that goes and does uh, work in, each, uh, in the classrooms with teachers. We would pare that back as well. 
Um, and it's not, I mean, in all of these things, it's not ideal, but we felt we could do that. When you total those up, what I have just named, we come to $502,117.85. So for the moment, that would seem to take care of Tier 2. Now we go to Tier 3, and here we begin to list off the capital improvement projects uh, that are in your plan. First, the entrances at both Reeds Ferry and Thornton's Ferry for um, 200000 The asbestos abatement project at Thornton's Ferry for 170000 The cafeteria tables for 40000 that are to go with that project, because you remember when they do the asbestos abatement in the all-purpose room, they have to take the tables off the walls. So we are putting those two things together. Um, and then uh, we, we really thought long and hard about this. Um, Matt is going to be working in the near future on our contract for the future with a bus contractor. And we wanted to just see, is there a way, especially if we had time and we didn't have to turn it around within a month, if we could go back and seeing if we could eliminate 171 um, passenger bus. And um, immediately we had uh, John Fabrizio and Marcia wanting to work together to see if there was some way we could look at combining populations in the complex. We think we can do that, but we just need the time to do it. That's why we put it in Tier 3. Now, if you look at the next items, you're going to see that these are what we call miscellaneous items, that when principals went back, they said, this is not that we don't want the item, we feel we can defer the item. So, um, by all means, you would see these items again. The art equipment at the, at the middle school is for the printing press. The music equipment replacement are for two uh, remaining keyboards. The um, science software, believe it or not, we eliminated uh, a piece of equipment at the middle school for weather reporting earlier and just forgot the software because it was sitting on a separate line, so they go together. The uh, family and consumer science line item has to do with the purchase of a, a replacement stove. The health and physical education equipment has to do with volleyball um, anchors and mats. The science equipment replacement um, at the high school has to do with um, hot plates um, and microscopes. And so if you look at those items, replacement or one additional, you will see again not that you haven't heard of them in the past and that you won't hear them again, but clearly to accomplish our objective, we felt strongly they should be taken out. Then, if you look at the four schools, Mastercola Elementary, Reeds Ferry, Thornton's Ferry, and the Upper Elementary, there is the furniture for the students that we had talked about that we, again, wanted to try and preserve for this, the furniture replacement plan, but felt in the third tier um, we could take it out. And lastly, again, knowing that the board is committed to the computer ed um, replacement equipment at the high school, you remember that there were 70,000 in place for computers. We left 60,000 in and took 10,000 out. Um, when you add up what I have just said, that comes to $500,703, um, which accomplishes um, the objective of the third tier. Before I, um, I take on questions, I just wanted to go back to some of the other items that you had raised up. 
one item raised up was athletic supplies. And in going back and, again, conferring, in all of this we, we have conferred with the principals and the directors. At the high school, we had taken two major cuts on <laughs> athletic supplies, one for 5000 on December 20, one for 7000 most recently. 12,000 at the high school, and then the, the middle school had already offered up, I think it was 2386. So the thought was at this point in time, if we could just stay away from athletics and just look at other areas, also just trying to be balanced across the board. Um, a question was raised about the middle school um, looking at two additional teachers, um, because right now we're sitting with a 6.5. 6.5 um, team arrangement. We have this modified team. And Principal Wolfline and her staff have been working very hard to plan for that half team. We would really like to try and give that a go and keep that in place because when that was put in place as a compromise position, our thought was that that could go back and forth in rotation, remember, between the seventh and eighth grade for a number of years. So we again want to try and see if we can't make that happen um, because of the planning that's been done. Shannon raised a question about uh, communications and trying to see if we could have a heavier reliance on technology and less on paper. And that is definitely something that we are committed to do in our future. But for this particular exercise, it just became difficult because we really don't have as good a handle on what would that save us? It's just something we need to do as a practice, and then we'll know what our savings is. Um, we also were avoiding taking any more paraeducators at this time. I believe that was raised right now in the first tier. You'll remember that we have minus six. And one of the things that we're committed to as a team is looking at special education and just looking at is there a way for us to be more efficient and effective by doing a streamlining? And if so, how does that model look? So it's, again, something that we have on a to-do list, but we would like to leave, leave things as they are right now. One of the things that the board raised was looking at the notion of eliminating um, an assistant principal or just the term assistant principals came up. This is something that I am well aware of as we have a declining student enrollment over time. But I have two major concerns. One is the fact that we have new town management coming to the fore. By that I mean um, a new town manager in May, uh, a new police chief um, soon. And um, I am concerned about what does that mean for the SRO at the high school. Right now, that position is significant. If in fact that's eliminated in any way, then those assistant principals, three at the high school, become very important in the, in the um, short term. The other thing that I'm concerned about is the beginning of the anti-bullying law and the fact that um, this is going to take more in in intensive investigation than we have done in our past. And so with those two things in mind, what I'm better prepared to do is to say, um, I'm going to be turning around and building a budget in the not-too-distant future for the year 12-13. So I would much better wait until we get through April 12th and May to find out what is my fate um, in an area that I can't control but certainly could affect us. Then um, the language arts coordinator um, position was named to take a look at that. Um, 
if anything, and I think Mark could speak to this, um, having been here a year and a half, he understands how critical um, these positions are. And what we are trying to do is to get away from the outside consultant and try to um, be in charge of our own destiny. But uh, to this point, the outside consultant has been the one who has informed the language arts coordinators. And then when the consultant goes away, then the coordinator becomes the one who really is overseeing the, the implementation of the logic model. Uh, we're going to be asking the language arts coordinators to come to you in the very near future to present what they're doing. And um, we, we just think right now their positions are very important to um, the work that we have just put before you. Um, Mark has um, taken a look at the department heads. I'm, I'm going to defer to him in a minute to talk to you about the department heads because one of the things that was talked about, is there a way for them to increase their teaching load, thereby uh, perhaps eliminating um, a position? And I want him to come and, and give you some insight in that just momentarily. Then there was a question about Gateway, and uh, specifically um, two positions um, were named. And again, um, I think that right now we realize that Gateway provides enrichment, school-wide enrichment, um, at all levels. Um, we understand that we're at a critical juncture, and if, in fact, we are asked to um, pare back any further, or as we look at future budgets, we know that's an area that we have to look at. But for right now, um, we would like to keep those positions intact. Uh, and I also think um, that Mark, as the Assistant Superintendent for Curriculum, would also like the chance to look at possible redesign to um, meet, needs meet the students' needs in a better way. And in a year and a half, that just has not been the top priority. So if we were able to um, get at what you had requested without going there this particular time, um, that's what we were hoping you would allow us to do. Do you want to just speak to the department heads because you've done some investigation? Sure. Um, so I think the issue that was raised had to, had to do with the question about um, department heads increasing their teaching load and, and therefore potentially uh, having a, a, the effect of or a reduction in a staff member. So. Um, the best way I can put it is this. If you imagine um, class size at, let's say, 25 or 30, um, and a regular teaching load is 5, so let's just say 30, um, that's 150 students per teacher. Um, if you were to eliminate a teacher, there are now 150 students who need to be absorbed somewhere else. Most of the department heads uh, teach two courses. Some teach three. So let's just take the uh, English department chair who teaches two. Um, if you were to give her an extra three, there would still be uh, 50 students from that eliminated position that need to go somewhere. But you have uh, reached the max of 30, and so therefore there are 50 students who can't go anywhere. So just as a numbers game, adding uh, teaching positions to those department heads doesn't eliminate, doesn't, doesn't allow for elimination of a teacher um, because there are still students remaining. In addition to that, um, if they were to teach five classes, uh, 
um, that would almost eliminate any possibility of them to engage in any of the critical department chair work that they all do. And uh, I can now or at some other point um, detail that for you, but I'll just give you two examples. Right now, we've begun a serious and prolonged uh, work around the competencies uh, and understanding by design. The competency work that has begun, um, that has, it's been in place for some time and now it's got a reorganized effort is primarily run by the department heads in uh, much the same way that the collaborative assessment project was run largely by the language arts coordinators. And so that initiative is on their backs at the moment. Um, so that's just one of the examples of a new requirement that they have. But um, the department function as we know it now would, would cease to exist if they became full-time teachers, a set, separate from the fact that the numbers wouldn't literally would not work given the fact that there would always be a cohort of about 50 students who would be unattached to a teacher. So what I'm hopeful is by going through and naming the particular areas, I went back and um, hopefully listed off what each of you said when um, Jody asked you to weigh in. And I'm hopeful that we've mentioned either, you know, all items, either you're seeing them on the list or we've just named how we got to where we got. So with that, um, I would entertain question or comment. Thank you, Marge. I just want to talk a little bit about process first before we dive in. Um, this evening, there's not going to be any formal decisions made by any of us. This is a uh, take it in, ask questions, have some conversation, um, and then we will come back at our next meeting on April 4th. April 4th. Thank you, Marge. And that's when I expect us to have some serious conversation about the three the three tiers. And I am I'm thinking that when we talked about tier one, phase one, however round one we've been calling these things. Um, we didn't actually take a formal vote at that time, but I did ask for consensus from all the board members because um, that was an initiative that technically was not a board initiative at a deliberative session. That was um, an individual taxpayer making a motion. However, it was supported by all the um, administrative work available to us and the support of the board. I want, want you guys to think about um, how you'd like to handle this. I'm thinking that we might possibly need to take some kind of a formal vote or um, is, I think probably what would lend me to that conclusion is if there's really some disagreement among board members. I think the higher up we go, the less we're all going to agree on any one particular line item. So just think about how um, you might want me to handle the process at our next meeting as far as formality. I'm prepared for us to take a vote um, if we wanted to even move one item in a tier to another tier and then take a formal vote on it. I'm, I'm pretty much open to anything, but I'd like to have three different levels identified. And again, I think the, the first level to me is going to be the items that would be the least painful. Number two is going to be a little bit more painful, but still doable. And number three is, a, oh my God, that's a last resort. So that's the way I'm going to break them down. Um, but other than that, I don't, um, have anything that I want to weigh in tonight about the specific items. Um, so if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to share, go ahead and Roy and then Chris. Okay, uh, first from a process perspective, um, 
I think the only formal thing we would want to do is to kind of bless the list in its entirety at our next meeting, whatever we come up with, because one thing we do have to do in preparation for whatever gets done to us by the legislator, legislature is we will have to issue pink slips because otherwise any of the staffing we talk about would not be legally possible, I mean, any of those reductions. So that's the one thing I think we do need to do is agree on the entire possible list of staffing that could get cut because unfortunately we will have to issue pink slips to those people just in case. Beyond that, I don't really want to get to a specific vote just because we've already seen that kind of as time moves on, we get more information, we find out, hey, there's $240,000 in health care savings, for example, that probably we'd want to put in tier one because they're tier zero, yes, because they're going to happen anyway, right? So if, if we have a million dollars in extra expenditure that we have to make, well, there's 240000 off the top. Um, who knows what could happen by June? Uh, we may have other retirements. We may have other things that go on. Um, so I, I'd rather be making the final decisions with our final set of information, if that makes sense. Right, and, and knowing that, that even mm -hmm. the staffing possibly isn't final until June. You know, we right. may give out um, letters saying we don't have a contract for you to come back to, but that may not be final until we find out um, that we're not losing all. And right. when I say that, um, again, we, we are losing some revenue. I know that. But um, this is going to be an increase in expenditure. That's a possibility that we absolutely have to address that we have no choice. And right now it's looking like it could very well be a million dollars. So um, none of that will be final. I think what I would look for um, as far as blessing, yeah, you're absolutely right, Roy. Mm -hmm. We have to talk about the positions and the staffing. But um, the other items, I don't want to leave all of them until June either. I mean, if there's mm -hmm. something that one board member absolutely objects to and you say, you know, there's no way I would consider that, but we still need to come up with $50,000, I mean, now is the time to send the superintendent back to look for something else. So I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm looking for a general consensus on everything, um, but knowing, yes, that we've got an April 15th deadline for the position. So. I'm thinking probably that our next meeting we will need to take an absolutely final vote on that and have some kind of a consensus from the board on the other items as well, knowing that um, in June we will be talking specific line items. Is That's absolutely what we're going to be doing. So does that sound Yeah, that, that good sounds good. Okay. Sounds good to me. And I'd just say that the list as it stands, again, it gets to that uh, spreading the pain, I guess, is the best way to look at it. Things taken from every school, every level, um, equipment, capital, and staff, and I don't see any other way to realistically do it. First off, thank you for the exercise. I, I think all of us lament the, the, the fact that we're going through this at all, right, after all the hours that we spent through the budgeting process and then to have you remind us that we're going to be starting it up again not in the not too distant future but having gone through that process and and having felt that we had done an awful lot of right sizing in terms of staff and and looking at the expenditures and agreeing that they were the right ones um, 
I don't think anyone's happy about having to do this, so thank you. Um, I did have a couple of questions as it related to some of the things here that, that um, you probably uh, said very clearly, but as I was trying to keep up, um, that I, I might have missed. In talking about the world language um, uh, teacher at the high school and the reading teacher, those, those retirements, you, you mentioned something about um, combining the instruction. Can, can, can mm. you explain that? These were what I would call unexpected retirements. In other words, the retirements I'm working on right now are the retirement incentive pieces. You remember the right. board has put in uh, for 10 persons, 25 people applied for this, um, this, this uh, retirement incentive. And so I'm currently work on, working on the first 10. The two that I'm putting forward before you here are not part of the 10, are not part of the 25. These are two persons who have determined that this will be their last year in our district. So when we look at the first position, the French position, um, we are feeling that with the staff we have currently and with the staff we have to hire, because we are still going to hire in the World Language Department, we can close out this position. So in the world of Linda Hastings, literally, we put a close to it. It will not be opened up. And so that means when Matt calculated um, the outcome here, all the line items associated with this position would be closed out. So when mm -hmm. you ask for a sustainable, a sustainable cut, this would be one. Yep. Likewise, the reading teacher showing has been operating out of the English department, and we have students who have reading needs. So the question was, and through our evaluation process, are there any staff members that we employ now who could teach the reading courses that were offered by one person. And what we found in our deliberations is that one of our English teachers will have completed his master's degree in reading in the spring, which means at the beginning of next year, he would be able to pick up reading courses, as well as another person we have on staff that doesn't happen to be sitting in the English department, but has a background in reading. So between those two, we are able to do with two what one was doing, which allows us to also close out this position. Mm. So what I would call that is unanticipated consequence. Got it. At the time that we sat and went through the budget, we had not had movement with these individuals to a point that we were able to say such. But when we analyzed, when once we knew it, we were able to take the talent within and do something with it. Thank you. That helps clarify. Um, in terms of the impact uh, regarding school board advertising, um, obviously we've got a legal requirement um, to do, and I'm assuming that's what, what this line item is, to, to post meetings and advertise. It's that, and it's also to advertise for the positions okay. um, that we have open. Right now, we seem to be on a decline, and so therefore, <laughs> we're thinking that uh, between and among us, we're all quite well networked, um, and we do um, a lot online. Um, I think we were a little concerned. We gave you 5000 um, back, I believe it was in the December cuts, and so we were just kind of holding. But quite frankly, to the point you made earlier, 
when we all went to the table this last week, we at the district level felt that we needed to also go back and see what we could offer up just like everyone else. And so it was like we will take what we have and we will make do. And then uh, I just have two more um, questions. Um, in terms of the instructional uh, support, the, the contracted services, Dr. Kim Boothroy, um, I, I didn't bring my budget book with me, but how much? It means there's 10,000 left. 10,000 left mm -hmm. because we took some in tier That's one correct. as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it just means where we have her going across to four, four schools and so on, um, it just means less of her time. Understood. Each of the four elementary schools will have some time, but it will just be less, less Got classrooms. It. Got it. Um, and, and then I guess the last one is, is more of an observation and maybe this can, uh, we can talk about um, when, when we get together on the 4th, but as it relates to, to the, the bus, um, one of the things that, that I hear is parents' uh, concerns in terms of the times that their children are picked up and the length of time that they're on the bus. And so as we're looking at consolidating buses and routes, I guess, you know, the one thing I would be very concerned about is, is that taking a bus out of the rotation um, would have uh, a, a negative effect in terms of uh, the students and the amount of time that they're spending commuting to school. And so I, I don't know if, you know, that's something we're prepared to talk about tonight or, or whether we should defer to the fourth. but. Um, I'm not sure if we'd have a full discussion about it this evening, <laughs> but uh, that could be an, uh, that could be a consequence. Obviously, okay. if you're taking a bus out of the fleet, there are some runs that could be longer. Is it is it uh, considerable? More than likely not. Uh, there's another scenario that we could look at, as far as um, going back to the old two-run system, where uh, initially before we had the middle school uh, constructed. We had a, a first run of grades 6 through 12, and then we had a second run of grades 1 through 5. Uh, currently, right now, K through 4 ride together, 5, 6 is separate, and 7 through 12 ride together. We could look at a model uh, that would be K through 6 together and 7 through 12. It's a bit of a change. It's kind of going back a little bit, but it may give us some efficiencies. So perhaps we could reduce the amount of buses by one, maybe even a little bit more. I'm not sure yet. Um, but it is a really different philosophical change than what we've been used to recently. So, so I guess, it, you know, this would be one of those items where, where we're talking about, you know, do we bless a whole list or is this something that, that continues to get worked? I mean, this this is not something we make a rash decision about. and mm -hmm. and. You know, move move forward. I, I I think that's the point I'm trying to make. Is this this one concerns me? They all concern me, but but this is, you know, this isn't in the same league as some of the others. I guess. Just to weigh in, um, actually, I agree completely with you, Chris. And the thing is, those timing is good now to do this because we are going to be negotiating our contract. Um, so if we're going to study any of this now, I, I personally, whether we decide to do it or not, I would like our administrators to do a thorough study and come Absolutely. back to us with what. Um, I have been told, now this is um, prior to my sitting on the board, but previous boards were not comfortable 
with um, first graders riding on buses with sixth graders and that was um, developmentally they didn't want that age group together and that was how we got the three different runs um, completely. I know there's been some discussion among um, administration that um, I mean the fifth and sixth grade school is really an elementary model um, now so possibly it might go ahead Marge you want to weigh in? Well I was just going to say and I think the reason that parents felt so strongly at the time you remember that for many years the sixth and the seventh and the eighth grade were together as the middle school so really when we created um, the upper elementary the fifth and sixth at that point in time they still had um, you know the aura of, of being middle schoolers and I think because we have proven that they very much are an elementary school in some cases you would have older brothers and sisters riding with younger brothers and sisters that's why as we sat together as a team you had principals Fabrizio and McGill speaking right up to say well the children in our complex could certainly ride together, ride together and we're very positive about it and so on just in presentation and we thought you know what? This is because over time we've proven this is an elementary school, and we think they'd be very responsible for the younger children. That's what made us want to go back and investigate it. Could we do it? Right. And having a child that was one of the last ones in the 6th, 7th, and 8th grade school, I wasn't really comfortable with my 6th grader being on the bus with high schoolers too so I'm not saying there's a perfect solution but can we go back and look at it and to speak to your point about length of runs if that's what we do if we were to decide um, that going back to the two different runs and including um, and it's going to be K now kindergarten through six if we decided to do that we could actually some of those I think the fifth and sixth grade bus runs are some of the longest ones we have are mm -hmm. they not Matt yeah. that would alleviate the length of some of those um, runs too so is there any one perfect um, scenario no but but personally I would um, I know you've got a lot of spare time that you can spend on this Matt um, but it I think it's something that we absolutely should should take a look at um, especially now with our contract coming up for is it for yeah, next con year for Matt? It, next year is the last year so 2011-12 okay. is the last year of the contract but we have to start really early to t kind of formulate a a specification we've already started discussions with other transportation uh, companies uh, not um, in specific but just kind of in general talk because okay. it's a big it's a big uh, project okay great Th yeah. thank you you're all set with that Kristen Shannon the only um, question I had with all of it and um, Roy I do understand and support and applaud you bringing up the sensitive timing that we have to work with when it comes to positions uh, the other con concern I have was asbestos abatement in phase three and I just want to know about um, obviously you probably have to reach out to Tom Tussaud before even putting that on the list um, believe it or not um, Tom would be in favor of this because we don't have anything um, that's um, a safety issue this is just literally getting through a schedule and so really what it becomes is deferment which is what we have done in our most recent past so um, Tom obviously realizes that if there is any project I think that we would like to have done we'd like to have it done just because we'd like to get through asbestos abatement I think we have what six years of projects and we we That's just correct, want to yeah. be done with it but when it comes to if you're asking um, us to find a million and a half we feel strongly that at this juncture in the third tier 
we would rather offer up the $170,000 for asbestos than we would the persons um, that would be instructing our kids. So, And, and that's fair, but whenever people at home hear the word asbestos mm -hmm. being deferred, I think there's always that concern of, well, what's the consequence of that? And just to be clear, you've already reached out and everything is good. And it's just we're putting off what, what can be done, what can be put off at this point. But that was my only concern, that that would be a question that would come to us quite often and we can just you know squash it now as far as uh, there is no risk at this point with asbestos in that school but it will over time we know it's it's a foregone conclusion it will become but right now we're fine so excellent thank you um, all the asbestos in any of the buildings is contained there is no friable asbestos in any of our buildings it's um and there was some discussion last year during our budget process especially at the budget committee level there was um a misperception mis um, out there that we had a certain timeline that we were in violation we were in danger of violating the state timeline to have this done that's not the case either um but again it's it, it's something that you know we have to do we should be about doing it we've put it off several years already so what could be done in 10 years is not going to take 20 years um, and in the event that um, some asbestos does become friable we've got to take care of it we're not going to have a choice and and again I want to talk about um, the capital improvement plan our CIP and the amount of time and energy and thought process that went into that document um, it was knowing all of the projects that we have down the road that had to be done and trying to do it as, at a measured pace because once you have an emergency and you have no choice whether it's 200,000 500,000 it's got to go in that year's operating budget and you could have a large tax spike that year and that is something that this board um, has been very good about and very vocal about wanting to avoid is the big spikes um, we try to keep everything steady and our CIP as we have outlined it and presented it to the public and to the planning board um, will not have any spikes in it as a result of our capital projects so just want to make that clear and again we're not um, saying for a minute that we um, think it's okay as some people have implied to replace people with things that's not the case either but um, when we're talking about these cuts said we are not going to be getting money from the state if we don't get it next year we're not going to get it the year after either there's their um, budget runs on a two-year cycle and hopefully in the third year things are going to start looking up I'm crossing my fingers but again who knows um, but these capital projects are things that have to be done so putting those off till they're more expensive or till they're in an emergency status it's not going to save anybody money so what we um, requested specifically for administration to do was to look at cuts that were sustainable and I don't think a lot of these capital projects to be put off that's a, a cut that we can sustain for any length of time we asked administration to try and not um, increase our class size by large numbers and to try and not have any of the cuts um, diminish any of the programs that we offer so um, just want to point that out when we talk about the capital projects that's really something important that I want to explain to people that we have not um, taken lightly our responsibility to our CIP so Jennifer did you have any questions um, not necessarily questions I 
just a comment that I actually prefer phase two to phase one. Um, I like that a lot better, but of course the $240,000 savings helps significantly. Um, but I, um, I'm appreciative of the fact that you did kind of pool your resources at the high school and try and find those reading specialists and, and things like that um, and where it won't necessarily have to be an actual person that's receiving a pink slip. I'm extremely appreciative of that as well, that that was their choice, that you know they are moving on um, rather than us telling them that that's what's necessary and then we can pool our resources from there. Um, I'm all for looking at the busing schedules and the transportation and if there is an opportunity to combine the two Master Cola schools um, in that transportation line, then absolutely. I think if it comes a choice between teachers and, and staff members or a slightly longer bus ride. Um, I know for myself, that's obviously a no-brainer. I'll go for the longer bus ride rather than laying off, um, you know, some some necessary employees that are here in the district. So um, I guess I'm, you know, I'm pretty good. We've already kind of given our blessing on phase one. Phase two, it's there. Phase three, I'm really helpful. We know have to go there because there's some things there that you know cut really deep at least in my opinion um, again I talk about the capital improvement um, stuff and you know that's just something that I know we're just gonna have to you know if we put it off now what we will have to do it eventually it's just it's gonna happen um, all of this stuff will have to be replaced at some point or um, you know or purchased at some point so you know that that 500,000 is going to be in a future budget but um, I guess we can just kind of keep our fingers crossed that the legislature can work their magic up there in Concord and we'll get there. Thank you, Jen. You know, Jen and I have been doing this together a long time. My exact words to Marjorie, gee, I like phase two a lot better <laughs> than I like phase one. Um, I, I would like to extend my um, deep gratitude to administration. I know this has not been easy for us as a board, and I know this has been extremely difficult for administration. And the administ this school district, there are none finer in the state or in the country. And our administration, um, whenever we give them a task and we push them to the limit and we say, you know what, we, we know that this is hard. Um, we know you've jumped, but now you've got to jump higher. They come through. They come through um, with no complaints. They come through with professionalism. And I am just always, always impressed and deeply grateful that we have the administration that we do running the school district. So I um, thank you. And I think everybody's been pulling together on this. Um, teachers, support staff, administration, school board. Um, so I'm just very, very proud of this district. I too hope that we don't have to go to the links. I'm hoping, um, I think there's a really good possibility that we're gonna have to spend an extra million dollars. It would be nice if what our senator told us came to fruition, realizing the position that they put us in, that they're gonna be a little bit kinder to us next year but the year after get ready we're going to get nailed um, I would even take that at this point but I think preparing for a million dollars is a very um, real reality I'm very proud too of this board that I think we have done the best possible possible job that we can in preparing for this getting information out to people again um, trying to be as transparent and above board um, with this as possible there are things here 
I just want to make a couple of other comments. Um, again, it's, it's budget time, it's election time, and this is when all the political rhetoric starts getting thrown around. Um, talking about the fat and, well, if this is there now, you could have cut it before. I don't consider $1.5 million out of a $65 million budget a huge um, slash, a huge amount of fat. And not one single one of these proposed um, reductions comes without a consequence. There is a cause and effect on every single one. Um, some will hurt more than others. Some will be more difficult to absorb than others. But um, again, I think we're just um, responding to reality and, and the sign of the times. But I personally hope that for anyone who might be doubtful that when we say we've got a lean and mean budget, we really mean it because in order to have to go through um, busing, field trips, student furniture, things like that. T to me, that just shows that we do have a lean budget and there isn't a whole lot of um, wiggle room before we start making draconian cuts, and I really don't want to be about doing that. So we're good for April 4th. If anyone has any other questions, please feel free to either contact um, me or the superintendent if you can't get a hold of me about anything specific that was um, outlined here. We um, will present the tiers, and I think we'll think about how you want me um, to present this. We can talk about the positions. We can talk about the, the different tiers. At least I'd like to give administration a general um, feeling of, of where we think we should go one, two, and three with our cuts, um, knowing that the, all of the staffing that we're talking about um, has to be addressed for, I think, formally would be appropriate. So. Marge, is there anything else? No, the only thing I would tell you is that the professional staff have to be noted by April 15th, if you, you, you realize that. The uh, support staff are notified by May 21st. So just given the fact that uh, we were coming back and talking about Tier 1, 2, and 3, I do want you to know that any staff member who is represented on the first page was contacted today to simply say that it was going to be raised back up again um, because really it hasn't been touched since the deliberative session. And therefore, until the board took action and so on, it would just be notice that it was going to be discussed, but that I would need action in order to go forward. So I'm expecting that. Thank you, Marge. Ready to move on? Item number eight, other correspondence. Is there any correspondence to come before the board? Comments? Any comments, Roy? This is, uh, in some ways, the proud parent comment, but also just general congratulations to the middle school for a fine, uh, fine production of Once on This Island. Uh, Mr. Karen took over the middle school play this year, and he took on the daunting task of doing an actual full production, as opposed to the junior version of a play, and involved dozens of kids. Uh, way more than I thought you could fit on a stage, actually. And they did a terrific job. So I just wanted to thank, of course, uh, Mr. Karen, also all the volunteers and other staff members who worked on it, and uh, the orchestra as well. It was a really good couple or three nights. Thank you, Roy. Any other comments? I'd like to thank our student rep for rushing over here from tryouts um, and sitting through yet another long, boring budget discussion. Thank you again, Jackie, for your dedication and your um, dependability. We really appreciate it. Item number nine, new business. Any new business to come before the board? Seeing none. Item 10, committee reports. 
Shannon. Greater Woods met last Tuesday the 15th and uh, we are essentially wor still working on cleaning up the report. Matt and I, as of this weekend, now have access to the work area to review draft versions of the document. However, it's checked out right now, so anything that's there is obsolete already. So we will be getting notification when the newest version is available for review for accuracy. Uh, it's beyond just uh, dotting I's and crossing T's at this point. It's making sure the content flows. It makes logical sense to place information where it is. So that way anyone that uh, is presented the document can look at it from beginning to end and understand what was meant by the authors without having to ask them. Uh, the document needs to live on its own as we discussed. Um, we did at that uh, meeting, and I will defer to Matt if he would prefer on this, notify them that um, we've also uh, are clear about emergency personnel access to the property. And something else, and I can't remember which is why I would like to defer to you. Is emergency access and? And then um, access for maintenance also. Maintenance, yes. We can yes. discuss that. You did. Those, those are two areas where we, we clarified that uh, routine maintenance is appropriate and Matt can manage any requests for that, uh, but where he feels it's uncomfortable, he's uncomfortable making that determination would come before the board for a vote. So uh, basically status quo for the last year was reiterated at this meeting as well. And um, I think we have uh, clarity. I want to thank you, uh, Marge, and for allowing Matt to be on this committee. I know he's spread thin in all his tasks, but uh, as things are presented to us that need immediate action, having Matt there and the resources Matt has at his disposal have become uh, very beneficial as, as we work through this, this process. And, and um, the benefits and the concerns that this property can, can bring to the middle school. Uh, something came up, Matt got on top of it, and uh, uh, a comment that was made was investigated and um, clarified to our uh, what I believe satisfaction at this point but um, when it comes to that kind of thing having the resources through Matt has been um, beyond beneficial so I, I know uh, it makes him it gives him no free time that you're talking about Jody really it doesn't he's with no, me the Greater Woods <laughs> subcommittee is a, a great bunch of people and it's an enjoyable time so it's my pleasure thank you any other committee reports 11 public comments on agenda items anyone wishing to come forward and address the school board regarding any items on our agenda this evening we ask that when you come forward you please state your name and address for the record seeing none we will close public comments on agenda items we will now sign the manifest and I will entertain a motion to enter non-public session per RSA 91-A colon 3 Roman numerals 2 A B and C made by Shannon seconded by Jen take a roll call vote Shannon how do you vote in favor Chris in favor Roy in favor Jen in favor and the chair votes in favor we will now recess and enter non-public thank you very much good evening
facility that they're building in Concord, they're going to need product. And I understand, you know, there's a, there's a deflationary problem with recyclings right now. But I just saw in the paper today in the 